and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. This is episode 103 on February 16, 2023. No guests this week. Some people cancelled on us, so unfortunately we'll be solo, but uh, we do have some very interesting news for you this week. The weird effects of emissions regulations when it comes to aviation. Also, we do have a small segment with the director of the World Vapors Alliance, Michael Lundell, on uh, their trip to Strasbourg and how they're trying to convince European politicians of the benefits of vaping. And the petrol car ban has also been decided by the European Parliament, so we're going to listen into some of that debate. So let's get started. Dutch nitrogen reduction plans target aviation. That's what Politico is writing. The Dutch government is introducing a new nitrogen reduction target and they're going to be painful for the aviation industry. According to a measure announced on Friday by the Dutch cabinet, the country's mobility sector will have to commit to a 25% decrease on its 2019 nitrogen levels by 2030. So this is within the framework of the European Green Deal. Uh, nitrous oxide is, uh, is, uh, is a greenhouse gas, and it's one of those that the European uh, Commission wants to reduce. Some of you might remember that uh, last year in summer, the Dutch farmers were protesting all over the country, uh, setting their hay on fire, going into the city and protesting the rules on uh, livestock farming. Essentially, the Dutch government, uh, by trying to almost frantically reduced the nitrous oxide emissions, which can be produced, for instance, from uh, manure in the livestock farming area where um, there's, there's runoff into, into, uh, into the water and into the soil, um, where uh, essentially the Dutch government's proposition was to buy out farmers. So giving livestock farmers government funds in order for them to completely seize their operations. And what the farmers said is that we don't want to stop working. We want to keep our profession. We just don't want to be um, tr treated uh, like we are a problem. Uh, of course, livestock farming does have a climate impact, which is why it's so important to have innovation in that sector um, and, uh, and to allow farmers to choose the best practices for them. Some farmers try to use as much uh, uh, manure as they can, which presents its own problems. Uh, but on top of that, also, uh, if you use synthetic fertilizers, that also creates problems. On top of that, right now, the fertilizers are quite expensive because of the war in Ukraine. Anyway, so this is uh, creating new rules for the aviation sector now, which is also uh, producing uh, nitrogen uh, emissions. And uh, Amsterdam Schiphol Airport has found a rather peculiar solution to that problem. Uh, the airport in Amsterdam is the second largest emitter of nitrogen oxide in the country behind Tata Steel, uh, which is according to a list which was released by the Dutch government. Um, and Eindhoven Airport and Maastricht, Aachen and Rotterdam Airport are quite behind. Uh, the Dutch, uh, the, the Amsterdam Airport has found a solution by buying up land around the airport. So essentially by buying up more land but then not using it, they get more of these emissions certificates which allows them to, um, uh, to, to, to essentially emit more, uh, which is a bit of a perverse effect because that farmland is that not being used for farming, it's not used for anything. And it creates a situation where many airports, and this is true for Heathrow Airport or for Frankfurt Airport as well, are some of the largest landowners in, uh, in, in Europe uh, next to King of England uh, because they use those emissions um, certificates. 
that's a bit of a perverse effect of the rules and uh, probably needs a bit of a reform. Next up, we have the director of the World Vapors Alliance, Michael Landel, telling us more about what they're up to this week in Strasbourg. All right, Michael, so you are in Strasbourg today. Uh, what are you doing in Strasbourg? What, uh, what are you up to? Hi, thank you for having me back. We are meeting uh, politicians of the European Parliament again. Um, this time we presented to, to them our new policy primer with best practice examples on tobacco harm reduction from all over the world to basically showcase the politicians that harm reduction is not just about statistics and scientific papers, but that there are already real life examples out there, how countries effectively tackle smoking. And we presented them a couple of countries who are world leaders in tobacco harm reduction. So run us through them. So who are the best practices? Which countries are doing the best? What we did is we categorized it into different um, product categories. And when it comes to vaping, the clear leader for us was the United Kingdom. They have the most consumer-friendly regulation all policy and, and public health organizations are fully embracing vaping as harm reduction method. And you see it in the results. They are doing uh, very well compared to countries who are stricter on tobacco harm reduction products. Then we went to uh, Sweden, which has a tradition of snooze um, consumption. And basically they are on their way to be the first country to reach the smoke-free goal, thanks to their openness to tobacco harm reduction. The third country was Japan, where heat no burn products are widely um, implemented and available. They also see better results than, than other countries with this approach. And then a little bit out of the categories, we included nicotine pouches because there is not so many good reg uh, regulation yet. It's either banned or not regulated at all. So it's not um, optimal in either case. So we said pouch like nobody else and recommended how to regulate them um, best. Obviously, we want risk-based uh, regulation. So pouches should be less regulated than the more harmful um, cigarettes. And as the bonus, we recommended politicians to communicate about harm reduction like New Zealand does, uh, which is very open and transparent and up to the newest scientific evidence with a very nice website um, where they inform smokers how to switch and why they should switch. Oh, that totally makes sense. I can, I can totally see why some politicians might react and, and say, well, some of these things are a bit theoretical. Are there actual examples of that? Um, do you think uh, they will be open to that? I mean, some of the some of the representatives in the European Parliament are very skeptical towards vaping. Is it because they read all the studies and then they concluded that this should best be banned, or what are the inklings for them? I mean, that that is the thing that that's why we tried this approach because um, scientific studies um, are not the most appealing thing. But with this, we we compared the success rate of the different countries. And you can clearly see, for example, we compared it to Australia, uh, which is one of the strictest countries uh, when it comes to alternative products. And in the past decade, their smoking rates reduced by not even 2%, while in all these other countries, it's more than three and a half up to and up to six percent smoking rate reduction. So there is clear evidence that some countries are successful. And that's not disputable. So uh, I'm really hoping that politicians 
are believing real real life facts and um, seeing the success of some countries and try to implement it in the European Union, but also in their home countries. Well, there is certainly a lot for them to learn about. Thanks so much, Michael, and good luck in Strasbourg. Thank you so much. Take care. And then last but not least, it was decided this week by the European Parliament that the Parliament supports a ban on the sale of petrol powered vehicles, uh, so petrol and diesel, so essentially banning the, the, the internal combustion engine for new sales by 2035. Uh, here's France 24 reporting on the issue. Europe's green transition has moved into the fast lane, and this could be the future of the European auto industry, 100% electric. After weeks of debate, MEPs voted in favour of a ban on sales of petrol, diesel and hybrid cars from 2035. If we want to respond to climate change, we have to use cars that don't pollute or emit carbon. This is a historic decision by the European Parliament. We're the first to do so. And we're proud. But many French people may not be ready for the change. Here, like in all rural areas of the country, the car is a vital and often only practical form of transport. And locals aren't totally on board with the new ban. It's about the distances and recharging the car. I have an hour of driving in the morning and the same at night. I'm worried. The proposed law comes as the EU plans to slash greenhouse gas emissions in the coming years in a bid to avert catastrophic climate change. Cars account for around 12% of the continent's emissions. But some fear the ban could backfire if new electric vehicles are too expensive. One worry is that if in 2035 the electric vehicle is still more expensive than traditional cars, people may prefer not to buy new. So they'll keep their old polluting cars for longer, or maybe even rent another combustion engine car, meaning we won't reach the objectives. EU member states have yet to greenlight the proposed ban, but it's expected that they will go ahead with the measure. So it made for a very interesting debate in the European Parliament. First, let's listen in to uh, the Commissioner for the European Green Deal, Franz Timmermans, on why he thinks it's important that Europe doesn't fall behind in the production of electric vehicles, which is the... I mean, hydrogen plays a part in it, but electric vehicles are, at least for the moment, the inherent uh, bet for the European Union on how to replace the internal combustion engine. As uh, was already mentioned... Um, we want people to have access to affordable mobility that is clean. And for that, you need to bring electric mobility, especially for passenger cars, up to scale as quickly as possible. So you have to be very, very clear about the choices you made. And by the way, um, I think um, the European car industry has made that choice very clearly already. And, and they, they, went, they went a long way in the last three, four years in understanding where the global car industry is heading and uh, um, yes the running costs of electric vehicles are already lower than of combustion engine cars and within years also buying an electric vehicle will be cheaper than buying a combustion engine car and then uh, you will help uh, consumers make that choice much easier so i think that is a very important argument in favor of this uh, legislation the second argument which I want to pay little attention to because sometimes it's overlooked. Look at what our competitors are doing globally. 
Um, we are very proud of the fact that the European car industry is the best and the most innovative uh, in the world. Uh, but we have to be very careful that we keep that advantage and that we keep producing cars that can match or even overtake what is produced elsewhere. And just let me remind you that between last year and the end of this year, China will bring 80, 80 models of electric cars to the international market. These are good cars. Uh, these are cars that will be affordable uh, more and more. And we need to compete with that. We don't want to give up this essential industry to outsiders. And if we want to do that, we have to invest in transforming the European car industry in making these EVs, electric vehicles, for worldwide consumption. Of course, some members of the European Parliament being very supportive. Here's Michael Bloss from the German Greens. We have clarity from 2035. No new uh, combustion engines will be permitted. And the car industry and the employees can adjust to this transition as they are doing already. Uh, Climate-friendly mobility uh, can't be stopped globally. Let's start this comp competition. Let's have the best uh, batteries, the most modern cars in Europe, and secure jobs and uh, secure Europe as a manufacturing base. In the transport sector, we've always uh, looked at climate goals, and that's a result of policy of the Conservatives in recent years. Now, once again, they're trying to do nothing for climate protection, and, and I hope they will fail today. 2035 is good for climate protection. Some critical questions also being raised in the European Parliament. Here's Pietro Fiocchi from uh, the Italian part of ECR. We are all in favor of uh, reducing the emissions, of course, but uh, we, as a ECR group, uh, we have some problems. Number one, the workplace. How many work jobs can be cancelled by this? What is Europe doing to do something about these workers? Number two, which is even more important, the dependence from foreign countries, and specifically China, regarding microchips, lithium, cobalt, and so on. And uh, if we talk about uh, environmental issues, again, I go back to the measurement on the tailpipe. I've seen a, a mining operation in Africa and in other countries, and I can assure you that uh, the impact on the environment is horrible. There's also some middle ground. I know that the German liberals have been arguing for continuing to use the internal combustion engine, but using alternative fuels. Here's Jan Christoph Oetjen from FDP. Alternative fuels can make the combustion engine climate neutral. It's not the engine that uh, is damaging to the climate. It's the fuel that you use. The Commission should be making a proposal enabling us to continue to use the combustion engine running on alternative fuels. But uh, unfortunately, we're not seeing such a proposal. There is no reason to ban the combustion engine as such, and that's why we're not going to be voting in favour of this proposal. Those who are in favour of a ban are afraid of innovation and competition, and yet innovation and uh, competition is exactly what we need. Thank you. The more far-left perspective has been a bit different. They are tackling the issue from a, both the sustainability aspect of it, but also they think there's an inequality aspect to be considered here. The interim goals could be more ambitious. 
what I don't like, I think is not credible, that uh, uh, the sales of luxury cars um, being excluded, cars cost, uh, costing uh, up to a million euros with small production numbers, and by 2035 it's as if tailpipe emissions are uh, somehow golden farts. We um, exclude that. Uh, we need a solution for trucks. So with all that debate going on in the European Parliament, it's important to note that there are significant disagreements also on the feasibility of some of these targets. I know that some people in the European People's Party have said that even though they do support um, the, uh, the approach, uh, it is way too ambitious of a target. And this happens quite a bit in the European Union where ambitions are high and the government essentially mandates for something to be phased out by a certain date. But it's up for industry to actually meet those targets. Now, then the equation is very simple. If the industry was able to meet that target anyway, well, then it didn't need, it didn't require any government intervention. But if the industry is unable to meet the target, then we don't quite know what to do with it. Do we put sanctions on the companies? Do we put sanctions on the European member states? By the way, the member states haven't quite signed off on this idea, but it seems to be uh, clear that they, that, they, that, they, that they probably will. And then also the feasibility is also related to one thing that the, the French lady who was being interviewed by France 24 was saying, which is, well, I mean, how exactly are people going to charge this? Yes, some countries such as the Netherlands are quite far ahead, having the highest ratio, the highest per capita ratio of charging stations. But in much of the, the rural areas, that is simply not the case. And as to what Pietro Fiocchi was saying, we should also consider the entire sustainability aspect of electric vehicles. Um, is all of that really sustainable when we on one hand, make ourselves more dependent on imports from other countries, including China, but also what is the sustainability aspect of, um, of, of, the, of the, the ingredients needed to make those batteries? And also, how are those batteries going to be recycled? Recycling for the internal combustion engine cars is pretty well established, but we don't know exactly... Um, what to do with all of these batteries. And I don't think shipping them to developing nations and then burning them on a pile is really the right way to go. A lot of discussion left up there uh, to have, uh, but it seems that the European Union is moving ahead with the petrol car ban. Again, um, this is for new cars that will be sold after 2035, with some exceptions being applied. Uh, there will be also uh, separate rules for, for lorries, but we will discuss those in future episodes. In any case, thank you so much for listening to the Consumer Podcast. My name is Bill Words. I've been your host and I'll see you Thursday. You have to learn to pace yourself. Pressure. You're just like everybody else. Pressure. You've only